Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to The Other Identity, your favorite podcast about comic books and all things comic. I'm, of course, the great Landis, your stalwart host, and along with me, as always, Ben, a.k.a. Professor Awesome. How's it going, Ben? It's going great, Robbie. I think there was a lot of extra pep in your step today. That uh, welcome was very, it was almost Michael Buffer-like. It was very impressive. I'm not sure who that is. I know. I was just, the minute I said it, I was like, this (laughs) reference will be lost on him. He's a boxing announcer. Hopefully most of the people listening know who Michael Buffer is. He's been top boxing announcer. It it throws me back to uh, long ago, last night on Twitter. When, uh, if you guys are following Checkpoint XP on Twitter, the debate about the greatest Zelda game of oh, all time, yes. and where you were playing the role of Elder Statesman, and I kind of butted in and said, "I don't think so, sir. That is that is my <laughs> spot. Let me uh, let me jump in here and talk about as as you're talking about your game from uh, the 2000s being old, and I'm like, uh, let's go back to 1988 and talk Ooh. about the real old school Zelda Ooh, games. Wow, yes, indeed." Uh, so we have a great show for you today, uh, one that's been in the works for a while. I'm very, very yeah. excited for this one, though. Uh, ben, you finally completed the In Blackest Night Challenge. Yes, I was going to say, it's been a long time coming because I read things so slowly. And Blackest Night, do you remember how many installments there were uh, of Blackest Night? 79, were there 79 issues? I think there was something like 79 issues when you factor in all the crossovers. So it took me a little over two months to do. I did one issue a day. Oh, 80. Uh, I was one off. Oh, all right. So it was like two and a half months. But Uh yeah, man, it was really fun revisiting this. I'm excited to talk about it later in the show. Uh, So uh, before we do get to the show, though, uh, other than Blackest Night, what have you been Mm -hmm. reading? Has there been anything that's really uh, stood out to you? Because I know you have a a bunch of reading stuff going on. uh, Age of Apocalypse, uh, Modern Marvel. I saw you posting Mm -hmm. about some Venom stuff the other day. Uh, Venom is the one I wanted to talk about today. So I have been back and forth on Venom in the sense that I've read a few issues of the Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman, current Venom ongoing here and there. And I did read the Absolute Carnage event without the context of Venom. Ah, So I decided my next uh, little deep dive was I was going to go back and catch up on Venom. And it's been quite... Actually, it's funny that we we talk about it on the Blackest Night episode because I liken it, and I was having a conversation with a friend of the show, Russell Sellers, about this on my Instagram, at Ben Reads Comics, and I liken what Donny Cates and Ryan Segman are doing with Venom a lot to what Jeff Johns did with Green Lantern. Really? In the sense... Yes, uh, it, not exactly the same. Don't get me wrong; it's 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 very different. It's a, it's a. I mean, there's cosmic elements, but it's not the cosmic book that Green Lantern right. is. But what what reminds me of it is when Jeff took over Green Lantern. One of the things that I thought was great was he didn't try to reinvent the wheel and say, "Here's all this new stuff that you've never seen before. This is a completely new Hal Jordan. This is a completely new Green Lantern." Corps. He introduced elements like the rainbow core and all that stuff, but it was all grounded in stuff that had come before. And that's what I feel like he's really good at. Does, does now, does this follow the events that happened in war of the realms? War of the realms. I'm actually at right now. War of the realms is like in the middle. Okay. Because there, there was a, a small part when I read through war of the realms were like some, some interesting sort of stuff happened with Venom, but obviously, you know, there's this greater story going on. So it's nothing that they really tried to explain or delve yeah, into I, deeper. I, I think what's really cool is that Donny Cates takes Eddie Brock, obviously the most well-known Venom. He takes the symbiote. He takes all this old stuff from the 90s and 
like Jeff did with a lot of old, like, goofy Green Lantern villains or Green Lantern concepts. He says, all right, there's a nugget of a good idea here. Let's expand upon it. Mm -hmm. So he takes, like, Eddie's relationship with his father, which was probably, like, two panels in the 90s, and does a whole issue on it. Uh, He creates this whole mythology of the symbiote is not just this one-off alien. There's, there's like, a god of the symbiotes, and there have been all these previous symbiotes. It's just, like... The idea of saying, all right, this is a cool character. I don't need to tear him up completely and build him from the ground up. What I can do is say, this seemed really cool. This villain, this costume, this supporting character seemed really cool, but not enough was done with it because it was the 90s. Mm -hmm. And how can I take a modern storytelling perspective and do something really cool with it? I know I'm being kind of vague, but I want people (laughs) to read the book and enjoy it the way I have. But I guess kind of what I'm saying is this is the best Venom I've ever read because to me, Venom was always a cool costume and a cool idea, but he was nothing without, he was also usually nothing without Spider-Man like that. That's where he was strongest was, uh, you know, when he was used as a foil to Spider-Man. Yeah. And there was just no depth, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a cool idea on the surface, but the surface was not scratched. Mm -hmm. I think what Donnie and do credit to Ryan Segman, whose art is tremendous. What they're doing is they're scratching that surface and saying, all right, here's if you, if, you, if you actually peel back a few layers and try to give Venom some heft, this is what it would look like. Interesting, interesting. Uh, well, I might have to put that on my list. Uh, I've, of course, still been working my way uh, actually very diligently through our DC Rebirth uh, era challenge. Uh, yeah, I'm, you don't sleep anymore, right? Not usually, no. No, I'm about no. 80 issues from completing the first part of it, which is like Good 675 Lord. issues. That uh, is insane. So it's going to take you almost two years yeah, just I'll, to get through I'll, this first I'll part. I'll see you when my kid's in college. <laughs> um, but there, there's two particular ones I want to talk about. Obviously, you know, we, we've talked about the virtues of action comics and, and what they've been doing with Superman and his, his family Mm-hmm. Many, many, many times. Um, yep. There's a particular arc that I can't wait for you to get to in a few years, yeah. uh, which kind of <laughs> harkens back in a way to Superman's black suit, uh, but with uh, Jonathan, his son. Uh, so I don't want to spoil anything, but really, really great wow. stuff. Okay. But something that I was struggling with, and I don't think that this is the comic's fault. I think it's the way that the reading order dis- or, or suggested it's read. But the, I think I know where you're going. The Wonder Woman stuff. Um, there it is. Now, I do, believe, I do think that it was twice monthly, but there's like sort of two... Yeah stories going on at the same time so in the reading list it has you read the odd numbered issues then yeah. the e- or, and then the even numbered issues so you're reading sort of one coherent one which the first time that i read it through that was fine because you could tell how differently the stories were mm-hmm. but then the second time they have you do it i thought maybe this time they should just probably had you read them all in order because i read through mm-hmm. the first one everything was fine then when i read through the second one i'm like okay hold on this seems like it's actually filling in pieces of yeah. the other one, or maybe this should yeah. have came first. Um, and I, I didn't remember enough about some of the original arcs. So, uh, uh, again, I don't put this on the comic at all and think this was just more a symptom of the way that the reading order had me do it. You know, sometimes you jump back into something, and you're like, all right, now where did we leave off? And right. uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit more complicated with Wonder Woman, though. But I do just like what, the- what they're doing with her. Yeah, just what they did with Wonder Woman. Uh, I know that's Greg Rucka's book, and I think it was very ambitious, this whole we're going to tell a story in the past and a story in the present, and they're going to kind of dovetail, and I love when they do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, in the defense of, of, of our reading list, I think that's it's it's hard. There's no real great way to sure. to do that. If you were reading the comics as they were coming out monthly, it probably would make sense. But since we have this option, it probably it seems like a good idea to just do all of one story at once. But I, I think it's kind of a 
damned if you do, damned if you don't mm-hmm. type of situation. Yeah, uh, there was also a, a, a great moment, and this is, isn't even just in Wonder Woman. This also extends into the Trinity uh, yeah. comic as well. But, oh my gosh, these writers do such an amazing job in, in so few panels as well of showing you and just demonstrating the connection and the relationships that Clark, Diana, and Bruce have with one another. You know, there, there's mm-hmm. there's this great one in particular where, you know, after all the stuff that's happened, Diana's lost her lasso, and she's upset, she's angry for various reasons, but both Clark and Bruce can tell, and, you know, when she mentions that a truth has been revealed to her about the gods, um, and I'm actually surprised they decided to do it this way, where Clark asks which gods, and then Bruce is actually one that stops him and says that's the wrong question to ask, what truth was revealed, and you know that that uh, uh, has Diana opened up more to them, and uh, right. just there's there's just so much interesting stuff underneath that's going on between these characters that I love to see. Yeah, I mean it's one of the all time great dynamics in comics is those three characters because you have three alpha, incredible, powerful characters who have such different outlooks, and that's why they're such a good team, and that's why they're such good friends because they balance each other out and. I think um, this was something that was was lost for a few years when Superman didn't really feel like Superman, uh, when Superman was kind of more of, seemed like Batman, if it were. Hmm. I think when you have a Superman who seems like Batman, you don't get the full appreciation. I think you need to have, Superman as kind of that paragon of virtue, you need to have Batman as the skeptic, and you need to have Diana as almost the in-between mm-hmm. uh, figure. And I think when all three of them are balancing each other out, that's magic. You know, it's also really interesting, too, when you think about that Trinity, because for DC, that has always been the Trinity. Like, you call them, you know, right. like, like these alpha characters. And no matter where yeah. you are in DC's history, it's always those three. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the Marvel side, you know, there are heroes that we draw as, like, parallels and comparisons to them. But Marvel doesn't have, like, those three always at the top. Sure, with the MCU, you know, you, we, we think Captain America, we think Iron Man. But when you look through the histories of the comics, like, within the Avengers themselves, they rotate in and out so much. You know, right now, it's right. a lot more of, you know, Captain Marvel, uh, uh, you know, She-Hulk. And it's just really interesting how, again, between the two, DC has these three, you know, concrete figures that never change. And Marvel has more of, like, a rotating cast at the top. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, to think about the fact that, I mean, in some ways, the core trinity of the Avengers for years and years has been Cap, Iron Man, and Thor. Mm -hmm. But they're the core trinity of the Avengers. They're not the core trinity of the entire Marvel Universe, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because then you're discounting Spider-Man, you're discounting the X-Men, the Fantastic Four. And it's just a cool observation because neither way is wrong, necessarily. But I did always notice that, that there's, there's... Despite attempts on Marvel's part, they don't have that these are the three most important characters in our entire universe type of thing. And it's been both uh, a detriment and also a good thing at times. No, I agree. And coming up next, guys, right after this, we're going to be talking about our read-through of In Blackest Night. So stick around. I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Oh, we have an unprecedented outbreak. Thousands of us walking the earth. We might die at any moment. Because we're under attack. In which case, we must act fast. Doctors are trying their best. Working long hours and... Always sacrificing. Their health to protect you. Well, I'd very much like to thank them. Thanks, Doctor. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, Doctor. Wait a minute. What's the prognosis? 
it's still changing. So we have a novel virus and no vaccine at this time. What should we do? We got to get everybody else back into the houses. We got to keep them there. In other words, this is our lockdown, right? What that means is stay in your homes. Make no attempt to reach loved ones and take a long nap. You can count me out. You can count me out, too. Some people are immune to good advice. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Those idiots. I just need to make sure you fully understand. Let's recap. I'm begging you. Stay inside. Wash your hands. And make sure you've got 10 feet of personal space around you. Stay away from me. Stay away from me. Uh, uh, uh. I didn't hear you wash your hands. So think on this, lads. When you're home watching TV. Think about the medical stuff. Working for you. So I'm asking you. Stay home. I'm in isolation. Just stop the virus. All right, I'll do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You stay classy, planet Earth. Welcome back. Thank you for downloading The Other Identity. If you haven't done your due diligence yet this <laughs> week, make sure you recommend our show to a friend. Maybe listen along with them. You know, discuss, uh, discuss some of the opinions that we have. Uh, you know, we disagree on occasion. I'm sure that you and your friends will disagree no. with us as well. So, in Blackest Night, uh, I have yeah. been told prior to reading this by a plethora of people that Blackest just Night... To, just to jump in real quick, sure. nitpick, the... The hashtag we used was in Blackest Night, but the story is just Blackest Night. Blackest Night, yes, yes. Thank yes. you for that. You're, um, you're welcome. <laughs> but I've been told that this is, hands down, one of the best DC uh, crossover storylines in the history. And I would even go so far as to say that this easily should go into top five crossover events in comics of all time. So I guess my first question is, Ben, why do you think that this works so well? What is essentially just, hey... What if we did a zombie apocalypse story in DC? Why does this work? I think you honestly nailed it kind of in the question. I think the reason why it works so well is you have two types of kind of event stories in comics. You have the kind of metaphor, allegory, hey, Civil War is really about civil liberties and Watchmen's about... Uh, you know, the, the nature of superheroism, the kind of think piece stories. And those are great. But then you also have the stories that are just, you know what? Comics are a heck of a lot of fun and we should take a simple concept. The simple concept here is what if all the dead heroes and villains came back and our heroes had to fight them and then just make it awesome. Um, Jeff Johns was the mastermind of this. Pete Tomasi was kind of riding shotgun as far as the two writers. Ton of great artists from Doug Monkey to Ivan Rice to uh, Pat Gleason and all points in between. But it's basically just like um, Jeff Johns is brilliant. Peter <laughs> Tomasi is brilliant as well. And they knew that this is just a fun concept. That was kind of the heart of the Green Lantern era that mm -hmm. this was the capstone of now, was, now uh, really quick. I just want to want to get a quick yeah. clarification. Uh, what Jeff Johns did with the color spectrum that mm -hmm. he, he had set up a lot of that foundation before blackest night. Like it didn't all come oh, in absolutely. blackest night. Right. Okay. Okay. No, basically if you want to look at it, it, Jeff's green lantern run, the before the new 52 he stuck around for a little while after new 52 but i look at jeff's green lantern run pre new 52 as there's green lantern rebirth where hal jordan comes back then there's a bunch of time spent establishing the different color spectrums mm -hmm. in the main book then there's sinestro core war which you should definitely read at some point that's kind of the halfway point of the run and then after sinestro core war more stuff with the colors all leading to Blackest Night, which is kind of like the big 
finale. It's, it's it really is like a trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, uh, Rebirth, Sinestro Corps, and Blackest Night do function as a trilogy. With the only difference between them and like a movie trilogy is that you've also got stuff going on in between. Mm-hmm. But what I love about all of this is Jeff is the master of saying this would have been a cool idea when I was eight years old, and I'm going to do the grown up version of it. What I mean by that is when we were eight, we would have said, oh, Green Lantern's cool. It would be really cool if there was a Red Lantern. Uh-huh. And Jeff says, all right, you know, just because I came up with this idea because when I was eight doesn't mean I can't use it as a professional writer. Because at the heart of the best stories and the best comics are things we would have loved as kids. And that's what I love about his work on Green Lantern is it taps into the very simple idea of evil twins are cool. Different <laughs> colors are cool. Zombies are cool. Let's tell a good story with these. But this is, you know this is I mean? more than just a good story because obviously Marvel has their zombie dimension as well. And a, lot sure. of, and a lot of people love it. But I don't know that anybody's putting the Marvel zombies in like their top five or maybe even right. top ten you know, crossovers or stories of all time. Because to me, Blackest Night is actually more than just the zombie version of, right. of, of DC, right? And it does come, I think, at its core from the color spectrum and what Jeff John set up beforehand. I don't think that in Blackest Night works as well as oh, it no. does without that. Because the one simple thing that I think makes this so great... And what also makes it such an amazing crossover is the idea that the Black Lanterns have to feed off of emotion, right? That obviously all mm-hmm. plays right into everything that Jeff Johns uh, uh, has has created up to this point and established for us. But what makes this so amazing for a crossover is that everyone gets to have their own take or their own chance to tell a story, and it doesn't detract from the main story whether you read them or not. There isn't a single comic or a single piece of that crossover that we read that if you took it out would ruin right. the story in any way, but everyone can do it. Like if someone's like, "No, it doesn't really make sense that that, you know, uh, uh that Adam Strange is touched by the black." Yes, it does. If he has a loved one that died mm-hmm. and he has emotions, it makes sense for everyone. Whether yeah. whether it's it's the question, whether it's uh uh the Teen Titans, everyone has a story to tell. In Blackest Night. I think what you nailed is that Jeff and the people they worked with basically said, all right, here's the framework. If you want to, and these, and this is how the best crossovers work. It's basically saying like, here's the conceit. The conceit is dead characters are coming back. And like you said, they're feeding on emotions. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do a tie in, if your book makes sense, and like you said, most do here is, here's the rules. Here's the rules you have to play on, but then you can kind of go off and do your own thing. Yeah, you don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about like what I did in War of the Realms when I'm like, okay, so when Enchantress is in Rio de Janeiro and Captain Marvel and Doctor Strange are teaming up to fight her, you know, Mm -hmm. Captain Marvel was just here in this other issue. How how does that make sense? In Blackest Night, it doesn't matter. No, and 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 I will say also that I, I, I gave credit to Jeff for kind of taking like the childlike awesome ideas and making them cool. But the other thing is, it's really smart stuff, right? Like, the emotional spectrum is really well mm-hmm. thought through, right? It's not just, oh, we're going to have uh, seven different colors and they have different powers and blah, blah, blah. No, it's like, this hooks into this emotion. This is why rage fuels this. And this is why avarice is important. And as we'll talk more about in our, our next segment, like, picking different characters and kind oh. of attaching them mm-hmm. to the different things. That's, su- again, that's such a no-brainer 
that the idea of Flash as a Blue Lantern is cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, but the way they the yeah. way they execute it is great. Well, and, and and with that, let's talk about some of our both both favorite and least favorite parts. Because first of all, sure. when you got the huge splash screens that was all done in black and white, like from the vision of the Black Lanterns, but mm-hmm. you know the heroes or their victims were like you know bathed in whatever color they were feeling at the time. Those were yep. so great. That that was such a unique way of being able to to picture. Some of that, and may have been just all across the entire crossover. Some of my favorite stuff that I saw, and then obviously, as you you know, I pointed out at near the end when the Guardians you know dep- deputized certain heroes and villains to get their own rings. That to me was like that was the high point of the entire arc. Following up on what I just said, and following up on that point, I do want to say, and I said this a bunch as I was doing the read, as I was talking on social media. Um, this is a great Green Lantern story. It's also stealthily an amazing Flash story. Mm-hmm. Like, Barry Allen is a star in this story, and it's perfect because he just came back. Like, he's just back from the dead when this story happens. So this is all, like, fresh in his mind. And he's got this great perspective. And I love the scenes with Hal kind of, like, catching him up on all the characters who died and stuff like that. But... Honestly, you know that over the past few months, it's been kind of a, a, a road of me coming to really like Barry Allen. I'm glad that he I was, was here for it. Mm-hmm. You, you witnessed it, but it was like, I think Blackest Night is the one that pushed me over the edge and said, all right, I get it. And Barry Allen is the avatar of hope. Uh, the blue lantern color worked really well. But I just, everything in this story that involved Barry, I loved. I loved him. I liked when Hal disappeared midway through the story and the heroes are kind of like, well, shoot, what do we do? And Barry's like, I got this. Mm-hmm. Like, he He's, just he steps up. up. Yeah. He steps up and it's awesome. And I also love to, to something you've been talking about a lot is I like the use of Wally in this story. Wally shows up in this thing and Barry treats him like a partner. Barry treats him like an equal who can help him as opposed to just like, oh, here, my sidekick's here. Yeah, let, no, let, let, let me is... tell you what to do now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The use of Barry and Wally here and kind of them going back and forth, that's what I want from my Flash stories. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought the way they executed it was great. So two things uh, that that I thought let me down a little bit. And mm-hmm. one of them they could have just completely cut out, and that was the use of um, <laughs> one of many of Kyle Rayner's uh, ex-girlfriends. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. I, I forget the name of the character now, if you could help me out. Alex DeWitt. Yes, Alex yes. DeWitt. Alex, yep. uh, you know, famously being put one into... One of the worst parts of the entire crossover Being, was, being was put this. into the fridge. I'm uh, with you. They brought her <laughs> back as the fridge. Like, like the fridge horrible. was wearing the, the, the Black Lantern ring. And I thought at this point, like, this was bordering on, like, horror movie slasher comedy at this it was. point. Um, that, yeah. we, that they could just cut that part out. There was there, there was there were some books where a lot of these, obviously the comparison here is that this was like a horror movie, right? Because uh-huh. of zombies and all that. And there were some books, like, particularly the Superman tie-ins that James Robinson did, where I was like, okay, using these guys as, like, movie monsters and this creepy vibe, mm-hmm. like, this is really working. And then there's other ones, like the uh, Titans tie-in, with Donna Troy's like dead husband. Yeah, that kid. was another weird. It just part. felt it felt gratuitous. Yeah. That was that was where this this crossover dipped at times. I think both what you mentioned with Alex, the Donna Troy stuff. Anytime they got like gratuitously violent and gross, mm-hmm. I wasn't really there for it. Like I liked when it was a little smarter, a little more nuanced, a little bit more about the emotion and yes. the build, as opposed to just hey we're cutting someone in half and this is super gross and like it's just over the top that didn't work for me yep. and then the, the the last part that I felt a little let down by just because the build up especially through the reading list was so grand was mm. uh, Batman's remains 
Uh, oh yeah, I, like it, it seemed like, and, and again, I wasn't super clear on it. Like, like if he needed Batman's remains in order to change the heroes temporarily at the, at the end, like he did. Uh, but then, of course, and I realize it's just a hook for a future story. They also kind of alluded to the fact that oh, those weren't actually right. Batman's remains. So that part of it didn't didn't quite work for I, me. I, I almost feel like it was a neat visual to have Black Lantern Batman, and they wanted to because Batman had just quote-unquote died in final crisis like months before this Mm -hmm. so i think they're probably like well if we're doing this whole big story we need to we can't we not yeah this is the elephant in the room we need to address it but i agree with you it was kind of a let down how they ultimately did it so uh that's uh what we thought about blackest night and uh coming up here on our last segment is actually i've been looking forward to doing for a while and this is actually based on uh something that you had done a while ago for a blog years ago uh we are going to go ahead and uh, have a quick discussion about who we think would wield each of the power rings from the Marvel Universe. So stick around. That's coming up next. Students are playing more video games than ever, and that's not a bad thing anymore. With Checkpoint XP on campus, you can peek into the world of college, esports, and gaming. We talk to personalities in the space like Phasix, who retired from the Overwatch League to join a college team, or thought leaders like James O'Hagan of the Academy of Esports, who's leading the charge on blending education and video games. It's not all black holes and floss dances. Games can lead to college scholarships, and we can tell you where on Checkpoint XP on campus. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our special Blackest Night episode. We just got done talking about uh, sort of our, uh, you know, I, I don't really want to call it a review, but it was kind of, in right. a way, a review. Discussion. Of, uh, a discussion of uh, yeah. one of the greatest DC storylines of all time, Blackest it's Night. It's in the conversation. That's the one thing I will say. Like, oh, we didn't really touch. You, you said it's considered one of the, the best DC stories of all time, one of the best events of all mm-hmm. time. I don't know that it's the best of all time, but it is definitely in the conversation. Oh, for sure. I, I, like, I would, I would easily put it in uh in my top five i think i think i'm with you and uh now what we're gonna do is something a little bit more fun this is something i have been slaving over since uh, i like i like this a little bit more fun like the last segment was just work <laughs> like, that wasn't that wasn't fun at all that was us just like you know well i mean not, look, this, not this, clean up and getting it done this is all fun for me but uh, mm. i do think that that this sort of discussion is going to be a bit more fun because i think we get to flex a bit more of our creative sure. muscles uh, but the it's idea fair. here is if the power rings existed in the Marvel Universe, who would wield, wield them? And yeah. uh, since you showed me your original article for this, I have been slaving over like my Well, just context. I, just, just, just quick context. Yes, I had a blog with two other guys from Wizard, Ricky Purden, who's now at Marvel, Kyle Fegley, who is actually coincidentally also a professor now. But we worked at Wizard together, and for a little while in the early 2010s, we had a group blog and one of the things I did during Blackest Night was I was like, well, what if all these uh, Power Rings went to Marvel characters? And I sent it to you because I knew if anyone would appreciate it, it would be you. And, and that basically dominated my entire night for that, <laughs> for that day, like when I got that. Like, and, yeah. and then, you know, something that I've been, you know, sort of noodling on since then. So uh, I'm going to go through and give my sort of own list here. And uh, yeah, some of the rules that I adhered to was, firstly, I couldn't take anyone that was from your list. Okay. Um, and or well, I, I couldn't double up any of the same thing. So if you said you know hero A got the blue one, I couldn't choose them mm-hmm. for the blue ring. Okay. Now like on that. top of that, I also tried to avoid obvious type answers. Like you had the Hulk for Red Rage, of right. course. Like like that that of makes course. sense. Um, yep. So for the first one, I have for the Red Ring of Rage, I had Frank Castle the Punisher. 
Ooh, I like that one. Mm-hmm. That's going to look cool, too. Yeah, That's a cool visual. <laughs> uh, I, I actually struggled with this one because I really wanted to also give the Punisher the yellow ring of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that, A, you know, something like losing your family is something that a lot of people are fearful of, and then obviously the fear that sure. he strikes into the hearts of basically everyone as well. Um, but- I prefer him with the red ring mm-hmm. just because I think the the fear thing is... There are other. I, I'm curious to hear you have for fear, but I think there's other characters who are more. I like it when it's a more cerebral character. Mm-hmm. Like I like Scarecrow getting it in yeah. uh, Blackest Night. Um, Punisher is just that rage and that need for vengeance fuels him so thoroughly that I think the idea of him as a Red Lantern is is much more uh, interesting. So for fear, and uh, this is yeah. one. This is one that, that that it took me a while to finally settle in on, and I think what. Finally swayed me was the depiction of Vincent D'Onofrio and the backstory that mm-hmm. was given to him in Netflix's Daredevil. But I went with the Kingpin. Um, Interesting. And the I reason the reason why is first of all, you know, given a little bit of of the background. Uh, again, this is also someone who probably could have been Rage as well. But I think that because of where he is, and despite him always seeming like he's in control. In the comics, what motivates him is trying to find a cure for his wife, who is deathly ill, who he's afraid of losing. He exerts Mm -hmm. his fear over the city in order to be able to control crime. And I just think that that it was sort of an interesting sort of of out-of-left-field kind of application uh, I agree. That was not. That's not what I would have thought about immediately. I honestly, just because of the the Lex Luthor of it all, I probably would have had Kingpin as orange. Um but I like this. It's a mm-hmm. it's a different way of looking at it, and I think you're right in citing D'Onofrio's version of Kingpin, who really relies on intimidation. As this would be a, a very good fit. See, I actually loved probably uh, your original pick for Fear, which was Sabretooth. That that was an absolutely yeah. great one. But the reason that I didn't put Kingpin into Orange, uh, mm-hmm. and first of all, your Orange was also a great one, which was Norman Osborn. But oh, yeah, I also yeah. think that both of those are a little bit too close to. Uh, Luther. Luther, who got it in yes. uh, Blackest Night. I went with Loki for Orange. Oh, that makes sense. It, it, that makes sense. it really does. Yeah. Like it just it goes in there so perfectly. He covets everything that he cannot have. Um, uh, I, once I came up with Loki, because I was I was trying real hard for Orange. Like some <laughs> people made sense, and then one day when Loki just popped into my head, I'm like, no, no contest. That's it's it. Got to be Loki. Sure. So for Green and Will, you originally had Hawkeye. Which I mm-hmm. get, but I'm sorry, Captain America hands down has to be the Green Lantern. I can do this well, all not- like I can do this all day. That that phrase right there to me just encapsulates everything about Hal Jordan, everything about Guy Gardner. Like like that is the Green Lantern. Look, it's it it it's the total. It makes sense, but if you're saying that Hulk as the Rage Lantern is too on the nose, I think. Steve Rogers as the Willpower Lantern is probably Maybe. the lowest, probably Maybe. the lowest hanging fruit you can do. It's it's the right answer, mm-hmm. but it's a very, yeah. I like the Hawkeye answer just because I, and the same thing. I remember when I did this with DC characters, I like the idea of using Dick Grayson mm-hmm. as the Green Lantern, just because to me it's interesting. Where, and I guess this applies to Cap as well, but just like when that kind of everyman whose greatest power is his indomitable will. Um, and I think about, you know what, Cap in Infinity Gauntlet, the comic story, when he stands up to Thanos, even though he's non-powered, uh-huh. that is kind of the willpower. Cap also could have been a Blue Lantern. 
because I do think sure. he represents that hope and that belief that in good. But look, I at the end of the day, dude, I'm not going to I'm not going to harp on this pick because it's a great pick. Um, I just think. I just think it's 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 the obvious. One. Okay, here's a few not so obvious but really scary ones for you. <laughs> Magneto or Doctor Doom? For willpower? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That would that would work a hundred percent because those guys, those are the guys who basically are fueled by uh, just persistence and belief in themselves. Mm-hmm. And you, the other thing you have to remember for the for the Green Lantern is it's about overcoming great fear, right? So it has to be someone who's somewhat fearless. And I think Captain America works for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Doom and Magneto, maybe not as much. See, because I Magneto, do think they are I, somewhat. D- I think Doom, they're kind of give you, fear. Doom, yeah. I give you for sure. But Magneto, given his uh, uh, his history, what he survived. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I think so. Uh, moving okay. along here, though. Uh, so for Blue Hope, which you said you had Cap for, I had to go with Daredevil, who could have probably oh, who nice. probably could have fit into a few other ones as well. But yep. his absolute like hard stance line against i will not kill because everyone has the capacity in them to do good no matter how mm-hmm. far gone they are to come back i don't think that anyone else embodies will quite as much as that there's also the element of um with the blue lanterns even though it's not like on the nose spiritual there is kind of a spiritual feel to them like there oh, is kind there of absolutely a, is all will be well no. yeah and and Daredevil does have that famous like Catholic mm-hmm. <laughs> profile to him, so it it, it fits pretty nicely. I, and and also the costume would look awesome, which yep. is something we should be taking into account. A blue Daredevil costume would that look pretty cool. Dope. For purple compassion, I have Miss mm-hmm. Marvel, who is someone that, Hard, I, that hardest I've, one that I've only just now. I, I disagree. I think that Violet and Love was actually the hardest one. Uh, oh really? For okay. Me. Yep. But for me, well, there are other re- there are other reasons that, that sure. one's up that we've that yes, you and I have talked about. Yes. See, yep. and, and this and I was actually thing about putting Miss Marvel here, but because of the way that they normally do the really scantily clad stuff, I just did not feel comfortable with it. Um, yeah. But no, Miss Marvel as compassion, um, I don't... I'm not super versed in Miss Marvel's history. I'm still just recently uh, getting into her thanks to uh, uh, Saladin's uh, run of Miss Marvel. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that, that uh, always comes back to is how much she cares, not just about herself, but even, you know, there, there's been a recent issue where her dad is sick, Doctor Strange is doing surgery on her, she needs to be there but instead of being there, she knows that she has to go and stop a criminal who's out and could end up hurting people, right? And I know that that, right. that kind of fits into a lot of heroes, you know, sort of wagon. Um, but I don't know. There, there, there's just something about Miss Marvel as a young hero that no matter what, she's always trying to take other people's consider other people's feelings into consideration. And uh, I couldn't not put her on here somewhere. I think that totally makes sense. I'm more when I said compassion is the tough one for me is less like I understand like this Marvel's compassionate character. It makes sense. It was more that I feel like if we're looking at Blackest Night, uh, Indigo, the Indigo tribe is just like the least defined. Uh huh. So that's why I had trouble with it because I don't okay. like when like when they make the Adam the Indigo guy in Blackest Night. It's fun, yeah. but I don't really I don't know why he is. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, cool not, it's not the same like when you see Flash become you know Hope and you're like yeah you're like, let's that's go obvious. that makes sense let's do it yeah when it's like when someone becomes an Indigo leader it's like you have the potential for great compassion it's not really the fisk pumping mm-hmm. awesome moment of. Yeah, exactly, yep. a Flash becoming a Blue Lantern. So this last one is probably this character who I really wanted to use was the one that I had the most 
trouble with because I thought, okay. you know what, she would fit well into rage because of the way that she's normally portrayed. Uh, she mm-hmm. would probably fit well into fear just because of some of the stuff that she's gone through. Um, but because of the depictions of Jessica Jones, thanks to Kelly Thompson in Blindside and Purple Daughter and the way that she writes about how Jessica feels about Luke Cage and her daughter Danielle, I put Jessica Jones as my Violet Lantern of Love. Wow. That's an interesting one because when you think of Jessica Jones, you typically think of like, she's a badass. Mm-hmm. She's a hard ass. You don't <laughs> think of like love, but yeah, she's really, everything she does is motivated by love for her family, which is a different approach than necessarily just like uh, looking at some of the characters who become star sapphires in DC. And it's just mm-hmm. like, well, they're really, plus they, they have that romantic love. This is more of a familial love, which I really like. Plus tell me that it wouldn't be hilarious to see Jessica's response to whatever the ring puts her in. Hysterical. That would be, be great. So, and let me say this also, they've, they've sent <laughs> for all that I crap on the new 52. One of the things I think they did a good job in is they streamlined that, Awful, awful costume. That's good. It made it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So now I did that's, also that's go thing. as far to uh, create or, or to choose both a white lantern and who oh, yeah, I yeah. think would be the best sort of main head black, of black lanterns. lanterns. The white lantern again, someone else who could easily fit into literally every single one of these categories. I would go with Peter Parker for my white lantern. Yep. Could have could have mm-hmm. predicted that yep. one, and it's the right. Let's choice. see if you can predict my black lantern of death, though. Okay. So you want me to try yeah, to predict it? go ahead. Give me a hint. Give me one hint you, first. Oh, uh, the hint I want to give you might be too easy. Well, oh, I, I got you. No, I got you. Snap. Okay. Uh, Thanos. See, now Thanos would be the easy go-to. He has this obsession okay. with death. He, 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 he loves death. And I think that if you were probably doing a story, he might be a decent one to go to. But no, because of the symmetry that it would create with my White Lantern, Peter Parker, my first mm-hmm. Lantern... Black Lantern of Death would actually be Gwen Stacy. Oh, okay. Oh, I get the snap. Very yep. nice. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Very, yes. very nasty. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, wow, yeah. but the reason why is I think that Necron in the Marvel Universe bringing Gwen Stacy back, you know, one of the 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 most famous and earliest deaths in um, you know the Marvel Universe. You know, she missed out on what should have been a happy life. You know, killed right. in some people's eyes by the you know the guy who loved her, and you know, mm-hmm. seeing Mary Jane basically get to live out the life that she should have had. I think they could have brought her back with a very sort of jealous, you know, sort of rage, sort of vision of just wanting to consume the universe basically and then obviously you can bring on people like thanos uh, uh galactus could take on the part of the anti-monitor in the black mm-hmm. lantern battery um see my only my only quibble with gwen stacy as a black lantern i think she's a good black lantern for like a spider-man story mm-hmm. obviously but she doesn't really have any ties to anyone else and to make her like your main like her i'm, I'm assuming she would be your black hand sure like black hand equivalent mm-hmm. i think somebody like the original captain marvel uh, the guy who died of cancer. Oh, and that's not has, a bad one. Sure. Who has ties to, to Carol, to mm-hmm. the Avengers, to all these different characters. Him being kind of like the linchpin of... Black Hand have a bunch of ties to other people within... No, 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 no. no. I'll give you that. Black mm-hmm. Lantern was primarily a Green Lantern character, but I I don't know. I just like... I, I don't think like... If, if Iron Man sees Black Lantern, Gwen Stacy, I don't think he's affected by it. Sure. Right? Sure. And I think it would be cool for like to have a character... And... and, and Look, if I have one quibble with Blackest Night, and anyone who's followed me knows this, it's that I thought Necron was too much of a cookie-cutter villain, and yeah, I thought Black Hand sure. was much more interesting. And 
I like the idea of Gwen Stacy, but again, I think that's I think it's great. I think you use Gwen Stacy for your Blackest Night Spider-Man limited series. Mm-hmm. I think you well, use hold maybe... on because the reason why I went with Gwen Stacy instead of just being like, well, he'd be great for Spider-Man mm-hmm. is Uncle Ben is right. who you would use for Spider-Man. Oh, uh, you use both. <laughs> use both, of course. Use both, but yeah, but yeah, yep. uh, good, good picks all around. Yep. All right. Well, this ran a little bit longer a little than long. normal. Sorry, you guys. got about a seven, an, uh, an extra seven seconds there. But we want to know who your picks for the Marvel Lanterns would be. All the colors of the rainbow. Let us know at Checkpoint XP on Twitter and Facebook. You can also tweet directly at me and Ben at Robbie underscore Landis CP and Ben J-M-O-R-S-E. That's going to be it for us today, guys. And uh, something else I need to remind you that if uh, your favorite local radio station isn't running the Checkpoint XP national show, you can get it on demand wherever you find your podcast. So until next time, guys, remember... Catch the other identity right here next week. Same other identity time, same other identity channel. Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. There are lots of country music couples we love to watch. They sing about their love and bring it to life in the music they share with fans. Text COUPLES to 45911 to learn more about five couples we think were and are country music magic. Text COUPLES to 45911 to get a link to the list sent right to your phone from BackstageCountry.com.